Good morning, Redemption. Well, the most famous person to use a magnifying glass was Sherlock Holmes, the detective from 221 B Street, Baker Street, London, uh, known famously for his tweed jacket and his cool hat and his trusty magnifying glass. Now, Sherlock would use this magnifying glass to kind of pay attention to small details, to draw them up close to his sight, to see what clues they might reveal. Uh, Sherlock was able to unveil some great mysteries with his magnifying glass. Now, this invention actually has a pretty long history. The magnifying glass was invented in 1021 by a guy named Alhazen, and it's actually become a technology that's used in all sorts of things we have today. So, for example, it's used in microscopes that will draw close bacteria and organisms and all to be able to see them. It's also used in telescopes that we can use to kind of see planets and stars far away. Uh, it's the same tech, kind of technology that's used in eyeglasses as well, which allows me to see you right now. <laughs> the way that a magnifying glass works is it, it makes things bigger. Now, it doesn't make the actual object itself bigger. You aren't expanding or growing up larger right now as I, as I put this on you, but it makes it bigger to the attention of the observers. They can soak it in and see up close details that we might otherwise miss. Well, today, we are going to see what it means to magnify God at Christmas, to actually magnify God and make him big before our attention at Christmas. We are in Luke chapter 1, and so if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. And over the next four weeks of Advent, we are going to be looking at Mary's Magnificat. Mary's Magnificat, it's this song that she sings when she learns that she is pregnant. She's going to be the one who is the God-bearer, the one who brings Jesus to birth in the world. Now, that word magnificat, it may sound kind of like a big, clunky, strange word, but if you hear the root in there, magnify, it's the same kind of root as this word magnifying glass, right? Like what Mary is doing is she is magnifying God in the psalm. She is making God big. She is examining and looking up close the details of who God is and what God has done. Whereas Sherlock Holmes magnified things with the glass, Mary is going to magnify God with a song. Whereas Sherlock uh, used a magnifying glass to take things that were small and bring them up close to his attention, Mary is going to magnify God by taking God who is massive and going, coming up close to pay attention to the details of who God is. Well, why does Mary magnify God? We're going to see in this song that Mary magnifies God because he has heard the prayers of his people and taken action in Christ to redeem. Our Advent theme this year is prayer and action, the prayer and action of Christmas, because we want to become a people of prayer and action in response to the God who has heard our prayers and taken action in Christ to save. So you may think you know everything you need to know about Christmas, but Mary, like a good detective, she's got her magnifying glass, and she is going to invite us to look up close and to find that there's always more when it comes to God to discover. So let's jump into Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Verse 46, Mary has just 
gotten the news that she is going to give birth to Jesus. She's going to be the, uh, the mother of God coming into the world. Verse 46, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Let's stop there for now. Mary shows us here that you can magnify the king. She shows you how you can magnify the king. Mary opens this song and she magnifies the king. Uh, who does she magnify? She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary magnifies the Lord Yahweh, the God and King of Israel, because God has heard the prayers of his people and he has taken action in Christ to save. Mary's just been told that she's pregnant with the Messiah and she recognizes that God is fulfilling his promises and she erupts in praise. Where does she magnify him from? Her soul. She magnifies God, not just with her body, not just with her words, but with her soul. From the deepest depths of her, she is erupting forth in praise. How many of you know it's one thing to praise God with your words? You can kind of, you know, just mumble along to the words on the screen. <laughs> it's another thing to praise God from your soul, to erupt forth in praise from the deepest depths of your being because of who God is and what he has done for you. Mary magnifies God. She says here in, in verse 46b, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What's that mean? It means she is making him big, like a magnifying glass. She is drawing up close to make big who God is and what he has done. Now, her praise doesn't actually make God himself bigger, right? Like God isn't like a balloon that she's blowing up with her praise. But like a magnifying glass, it doesn't make the object itself bigger, but it makes it bigger to the observer, she is magnifying God, making God big to her and singing out loud so that others who hear it might make God big to all who see. She pays attention to God's greatness. He's already been there, but now she's paying attention and can see it. God doesn't have an ego problem. Right? He's not insecure. He doesn't need you to make him bigger, kind of build up his self-esteem. Right? No, God's all good. He's secure in who he is. Uh, you can't add to or subtract from him, but the reality is that you and I, you need to see the bigness of God. We need to magnify God. We need to behold the glory of the one who has made us, who's holding you together right here and now in your very seat, and the one who has come in Christ to redeem you. We need to magnify to behold his greatness, to see him for how great he is. And Notice as well what Mary doesn't magnify, her problems. Right? Mary doesn't magnify her problems, and she's got some problems now, right? Because uh, now with this news, the reality is she's going to be an unwed teenage mom in the first century Middle East, and that is complicated, right? There are some challenges that she is going to face. You can imagine her 
thinking ahead of the weeks to come and as her baby bump begins showing and she tries explaining to her friends and neighbors, and yeah, I got visited by this angel and they're like, yeah, right, Mary. <laughs> like, like they're gonna mock her. You can imagine her forecasting and thinking about, dude, what's this mean for Joseph, her fiance? Surely he's gonna call off the wedding. She doesn't know yet what we find out later in the story is that God's also going to send an angel to Joseph to give him the courage to stay in it. They're going to be in it together. But she doesn't know this at this time, so Mary has some problems that she is facing. And yet, Mary is not focusing on her problems. She's too busy focusing on God's praise. Mary is not fixated on her scary circumstances because she is enraptured by her saving king. How many of you remember uh, burning ants as a kid? I mean, not you, but seeing the naughty kids burn, burn ants, right? You were, you were the nice, you're not getting coal for Christmas, you were the nice kids. But there were those other kids, the naughty kids, who, you know, would burn ants. And this was, you know, like Sid in Toy Story, burning Woody, right? Or uh, DreamWorks ants, where the ants are kind of running away, fleeing from the glass. Because you see, as kids, we learned that magnifying glass, you can use it to kind of intensify the rays and light of the sun, and, and the ants, they're too small. They can't handle that level of magnification. It burns them up under the heat. And you and I, we are similar to those ants, right? That you and I, we were not made to handle the intensity and magnification of all that glory and light that, that is made for God. We weren't made to bear that. When you have the magnification glass, when you have the magnifying glass, when you are, have all the focus and attention and spotlight on who you are and where you're at and your circumstances, the intensity of that heat can burn you up in the process. It's too much for you and I. We weren't made for that level of magnification. But God can handle it. God is worthy of glorification and he can handle being magnified because he is actually the one who is properly due all magnification, all glory and honor and praise. And that raises the question for us, what are you magnifying this Christmas? Do you have the spotlight on you or on God? On your circumstances or on God? The reality is uh, there are many things in the holidays that can we, we can kind of magnify our attention and our focus on. Uh, for Mary, a lot of her circumstances revolve around her growing family. Her family issues are involved. And I know this last week was Thanksgiving. And for a lot of us, man, for some of you, like family can be a difficult area that can consume a lot of attention. You may have found yourself this last week around the table with some particular family members that you can't stand or didn't necessarily want to be around. For others of us, there may have been the sadness over the holidays of uh, that person whose chair was empty at the Thanksgiving table, no longer with us. And, and we don't need to pretend or minimize or ignore those painful realities. But the question is, what are we magnifying? What are we putting at the center of our focus? Because uh, the reality is, you think about when, when you magnify something, when you focus on it, the other things are still there. They just kind of blur to the periphery. They're still present, 
but your focus and attention is consumed with what's at the center. And the reality is when we magnify ourselves and our circumstances, that can so dominate and it can feel like just the weight of that can feel like it's consuming us. But when we magnify the king, when you magnify God as king at the center of the Christmas story, it doesn't make the other things go away. They're still there, but they find their proper place. And the reality is there are a lot of other things fighting for your focus this month. There is the stress of shopping lists and gifts to wrap and meals to prepare and frenzied to-do lists and traffic jams trying to get to the mall and long lines of uptight people. And yes, those things are a part of the season. We don't need to just pretend they're not there. But the question is, what are you magnifying putting at the center? Because we don't need those things to consume our attention this month. Rather, like Mary, we can magnify the king, who he is and what he's done. And it may not make all the stress and craziness and other stuff go away, but it puts it in its proper place. So this Christmas, are you magnifying all the things you've got to get done? Or are you magnifying what God has done for you? Are you magnifying your problems or his praise? Because his praise, it doesn't necessarily mean the problems go away, but you can find the strength to endure them well when the focus is on the king. All right, Joshua, how, how do I do this? How do you magnify the king? It's pretty simple, actually. You pay attention. Well, the author, Mary Carr, she says that attention is the beginning of devotion. That what we pay attention to becomes the object of our devotion, of our adoration. And similarly, to magnify God is to ponder him, to weigh his greatness, to consider, to contemplate, to meditate upon him, to ruminate upon the attributes of the Most High. We don't make God great, but we do make much of his greatness. And one way to do that this season that I want to invite us to as a community is the 146 prayer that Jim talked about earlier in the spotlight. But this is a way where I want to invite you to set your alarm, set an alarm on your phone. You can pull out your phone and do it right now if you want, but set an alarm on your phone for 1.46 p.m. this month. And that time would be a time that you can uh, read Luke 1.46. This we got the name 1.46 prayer from, right? Like Luke 1.46 can read uh, this prayer to sing this song along with Mary, celebrating the coming of Jesus. And to spend 10 minutes both singing, uh, reading, you don't have to sing it out loud in the office, la, 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 you know, you can read Mary's Magnificat and you can pray to God. And, and we want to invite you to pray along the lines of our focus for each week of this Advent season. So this week, that would be focusing for those who are incarcerated and their families, like Jim talked about earlier. So the details for that 146 prayer are right here in this brochure that was on your seat when you came in. But I want to invite us to do that not just something to do, but as a way of magnifying the king, that all around the city that we would be magnifying the king, we would create time and space to pay attention to who God is and what he has done in Christ as a means of our devotion to him, of pulling the magnifying glass up close and seeing close, man, this is who our God is and what he has come to do. So Mary magnifies the king, but she doesn't stop there. She not only magnifies the king, she goes on, and in verse 46, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. But in verse 47, she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary teaches here that at Christmas, we can not only magnify the king, but you can magnify his kingdom as well. You can magnify the kingdom. She magnifies God, my Savior, she says. And we can hear that word Savior sometimes today, and we, we tend to think of, uh, you know, Savior of our soul. God's some save our soul. And while, yes, that's true, that's not enough, it's too small, that actually God has come not only to save our soul, but our body and to rescue and redeem his creation. God's salvation in the biblical storyline, it speaks to God coming to establish his kingdom and to enact his rescue plan for creation and for a redeemed humanity. You see, when Mary calls God my savior, as she's singing that, there's another savior in town. Caesar was seen by the Roman Empire to be the savior of the world. Uh, as Mary sings this song, there's this other Caesar in town, this other savior that everyone was looking to. And I want you to listen to this description of Caesar. Uh, this is from a famous inscription that was written about 10 years before the birth of Jesus. And it says this is Caesar. It says that <clears throat> Caesar has been sent to us and our descendants as savior. They're calling him savior. He has put an end to war and has set all things in order, has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward dissolution, he restored it once more and gave the whole world a new aspect. The most divine Caesar. Hear that? They're calling Caesar divine to see him as the savior who's brought order to things and ended war. So this most divine Caesar, we should consider equal to the beginning of all so when Mary calls God Savior, she's magnifying the kingdom of God. And she's saying, this is different from the kingdom of Rome. I'm sorry, Caesar, but there's another Savior in town. It's God, and he is coming in Christ to redeem. He is the Savior, not just of the soul, but of the world. He is the one who will ultimately put an end to all wars, and yet it will not be through the coercive force, and violent power of Rome, it will be through this baby who is coming in a manger. Mary foresees that God's kingdom that has come in Jesus is going to be a kingdom of great reversal. She goes on in this song, the Magnificat, we're going to see in the coming weeks, she goes on in the song to sing about God humbling the proud and exalting the humble. This is a God who has come in Christ who uh, pulls the mighty, the mighty being brought down from their thrones and the lowly being lifted up. This is about the last becoming first and the first becoming last, that Jesus' kingdom is one of great reversal. And while the kingdoms of this world are temporary and they will fade, Christ's kingdom is eternal, it is stable, it is secure. Daryl Johnson is a pastor. Uh, he is also an author, and he was a former missionary in the Philippines. And I heard him share the story once about his time in the Philippines, where you know he was pastoring this church, and at that time in the country, there was a dictator in power, Ferdinand Marcos, and he had been uh, beating up and torturing and killing dissidents. And there was one leader he had assassinated, and uh, the widow of this assassinated leader 
Corey Aquino was actually rising to prominence and power. So you had kind of these two movements, Marcos and power, but then this other movement uh, around Corey Aquino, the widow of this former person he'd assassinated. And with these two moves, there was a lot of escalating tension and polarization and stuff in the Philippines at this time. And um, Johnson, Daryl Johnson, he had a uh, military general in his congregation. And this general came up to him. The, the holidays were approaching. It was near Christmas time. And this military general said, hey, Daryl, hey, just so you know, Christmas is coming. You can preach on anything you want. You can teach on anything you want. Just make sure you don't read Mary's Magnificat. Uh, don't read Mary's Magnificat. It was actually uh, banned or not allowed because of the revolutionary themes that Mary was singing and, and what that could mean for those in power where things felt unstable. So Daryl said, okay, well, man, what am I going to do? I'm like, I, I, I don't want to create unnecessary problem, but I want to be faithful to God's word. And so he was reading, he was praying, he was studying, and he felt the Spirit of God give him a message uh, from Daniel 2, Daniel chapter 2, which is basically like, a foreshadowing of Mary's Magnificat, right? Just a different passage. So he goes in Daniel 2, uh, if you're unfamiliar with Daniel 2, what happens there is the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he has a stream of his kingdom, uh, these kingdoms of the world, like this mighty statue made of gold and silver and precious metals. Only then there's this little rock that comes down out of heaven and boom, it hits the statue at its bottom. And this little rock, when it hits the bottom, the whole Kingdoms of the world, the, the statue tumbles and falls, and that little stone grows up to become a mighty mountain. And the meaning of this dream in Daniel 7 is that the kingdoms of this world, ultimately, what Daryl Johnson preached on is the kingdoms of this world will ultimately collapse and crumble and fall, but God's kingdom that is coming Christ, like that little stone, is going to grow and build to become a mighty, everlasting kingdom that will never be shaken. So Daryl is you know, preaching the sermon that morning. And uh, unbeknownst to him, there is a PR agent in the room, someone who Marcos, the dictator, has hired to come over from the U.S. to help his PR, to help his image in the United States. And so there's this PR agent in the room who's there with a CIA agent, and they're sitting in the congregation as Daryl's preaching. And, um, and this PR person that's just flown in is shaking in his seat. He would later tell Daryl he was just like shaking in his seat because he felt the Spirit of God come upon him and tell him, tomorrow when you meet with Marcos, the only thing you are to do is to read Daniel chapter 2. And he's like freaking out, right? He's freaking out. And so he goes in the next day. He meets with Marcos, and he just reads him Daniel 2 and leaves. Three months later, Marcos was out. And Corey Aquino, the new leader, heard this story and had uh, Daryl and his wife, they came up and had him present this message at the inauguration ceremony for the new leadership. This message about how the kingdoms of this world will ultimately pass away, but God's kingdom is eternal. It is secure. It is true. And the question is not, how can we get God to fit into our little kingdoms? The question is, how can we align our lives with his I believe it raises the question for us this Christmas, what kingdom are you magnifying? What kingdom are you magnifying? And I have to wonder if perhaps we have sanitized Christmas, right? That the first Christmas is God is getting ready to show up. Uh, Jesus is showing up and Mary is singing about God bringing down the proud and lifting up the humble and reordering society. Herod sees Jesus as a threat and is massacring the infants to try and get to him. 
And I wonder whether we have nullified the truth of how revolutionary Christ's birth is. That it says, look out, Caesar, there's a new savior in town. And when you magnify God's kingdom, you are magnifying something eternal, which can never be shaken. The presence under the tree will fade, but the presence of God's kingdom will never fade. And, you know, it's it's interesting. God's kingdom, it, it poses a confrontation or a threat that... That's real. That's there, and makes me think, man. You know, the number one religion in America today is probably consumerism, right? And it's interesting that the top holiday for our number one religion is Christmas as well. So there's some competition in terms of how we approach Christmas. And I'm not bagging on, hey, don't go buy presents. I was at the mall on Black Friday, right? So um, I confess, I was there. I bought something, whatever. So this. This isn't bagging on, uh, on shopping over, but here's how you can tell the lie of consumerism that's gonna hit you. The lie is when you feel that sense of like, how much I love that person is measured by how much money I'm willing to spend on them. Okay? And for some of you, I know for some of us that can lead to this pressure that leads to piling up credit card debt and buying things we don't need. And, and the beauty and reality of Christmas is when God wanted to give to us, he gave us relationally, he gave us himself, he gave us his son. There are meaningful ways that we can give to one another at Christmas. And it might mean spending some money, but it doesn't have to be as crazy or whatever, you know, as we might feel the pressure for it to. And here's the other thing. When Jesus, you know, when Jesus talks about giving gifts to him, he says in Matthew 25, when you feed the hungry, when you give water to the thirsty, when you are with the sick, you care for the sick or the lonely, or you visit those in prison. I tell you, whatever you've done, the least these you've done for me. And so if Christmas is Jesus's birthday, and we want to give birthday presents to Jesus, then it's a good idea to give the way that he says. So one of the reasons we're doing Angel Tree this year that that, uh, Jim talked about earlier is, man, we want to have that be a part of how we bring gifts to Jesus this year. And this week, the focus for that is bringing gifts uh, to care for those who are incarcerated and their families. One of the ways Jesus said, hey, here's how you can show love to me. And uh, the, the hope here is going, man, we want to follow Jesus and this kingdom that is upside down. It's a kingdom of reversals, and it is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We want to ask this year, what kingdom... Are we magnifying? And let's magnify the upside-down kingdom of Jesus this Christmas. Put our hope in him and this kingdom that cannot be shaken. All right, well, Mary magnifies the king, and she magnifies the kingdom, but she finds the surprise here at the end. Verse 48, she says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary points us to the magnificent God. This whole song is about God being the magnificent God, but one of the craziest things here is that as she's magnifying God, she finds God magnifying her. Did you catch that? Here's the craziest thing is that as she is magnifying God, she finds God magnifying her. She says that uh, God has looked on 
her humble estate. God has looked on her. It's like, God's like Sherlock Holmes pulling up his own magnifying glass and he has looked on her. Even though she's in this humble estate, God has drawn close to see her, the intimate intricacies of her life, to know her. This humble estate Mary sings of, to the world, Mary looks like nothing. She is an unwed teenager in a backwater town in a corner of the empire. Her Instagram following sucks. She's got no viral TikTok videos. No one's asking her opinion for the Roman Gazette, right? Like, like she's like, where's Waldo, right? She's hard to find in this corner of the empire. But you remember being a kid and you pull out the magnifying glass and you're looking for where's Waldo. That's like God, like God's looking for Mary in her humble estate and he finds her. God has seen her and God magnifies her. He says here, um, or Mary sings that, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's going, God has seen me in my humble estate and God has lifted me up in my humble estate and has blessed me. Not because of how, whatever, but he, he's, he's blessed me in that place. Here in Luke chapter one, two times, Mary is called highly favored. She's also called blessed among women. God lifts her up and exalts her from her humble estate by making her a part of the story of Jesus, God's rescue plan for the world. As Mary magnifies and sees God, she encounters God magnifying and seeing her. And there is something powerful to being seen. In 2010, the New York's Museum of Modern Art held a um, Marina Abramovich. She was a world-renowned performance artist, Yugoslavia-born, and she put on this uh, display called The Artist is Present at the Museum of Modern Art. And uh, basically for over three months, she would sit there and like looking forward and there was another chair opposite her and people could come and sit across from her and stare at her staring at them, right? And over 1,500 people uh, took advantage of this. Some waited in line for hours to get to and, and, and see her and step into this bizarre experience, right? Uh, but what is crazy to see as you kind of read the story and watch videos and all is how it moved people how they were shocked and surprised as they saw someone seeing them in their eyes, face to face, that it moved them. Most people began to break down eventually and cry. And so these are a few pictures of folks where uh, this person, uh, they timed. You know, this person, it was seven minutes in where she broke down, began crying. This next person, 45 minutes this next person, it was 164 minutes. She was a little tougher not to crack well, right? But 164 minutes. This next person was 18 minutes. She began crying. The next person was also 18 minutes. This person, 14 minutes. And this person, 12 minutes. We see here a variety of all different kinds of people from all different walks of life, and it speaks to the power when you see someone else seeing you. There was someone here this morning as they were kind of running the slides to make sure they worked. I'm like, dude, why are we throwing slide, pictures of people crying at Christmas? And I'm like, don't worry, they're happy tears, right? <laughs> we're going, they're happy tears. There's something powerful 
when you actually see someone seeing you. These people saw this artist seeing them. And what Mary is inviting us to here is something even more powerful. We're talking not just about like New York's Museum of Modern Art. We are talking about the stage of creation. And we are talking about not just, uh, I don't know, some hip artist, or we're talking about the creator of the universe, the grand artist who has brought you into existence. And what Mary is pointing us to is going, hey, you're invited to come and sit before the creator, the grand artist, and to magnify him and see him and rejoice and celebrate who he is and what he's done. And Mary's going, here's the craziest thing, that when you do, you find him looking back at you. You are invited to see God seeing you. That is what the Christmas story is about. It is the God who has seen you, who has heard your cries, who has listened to your prayers and has taken action in Christ to come and to redeem you. And I wonder this morning, have you seen God seeing you? Have you seen God seeing you? Part of what makes God such a magnificent God is that he sees you. Mary says, this is why my soul rejoices. This is why my spirit magnifies him. He's seen me. Have you seen God seeing you? Because if you have, it moves you from within. Like these pictures we saw, it moves you from the inside out. It causes you to want to magnify him and rejoice in him. Not just with your words, but from your soul. To cry out, God, you have seen me. God, you have pulled up the magnifying glass to find me, my condition. And God finds you in those very areas that are your humble estate. Where is your humble estate this morning? Those areas where you feel too eccentric, like where's Waldo with his weird clothes and your whatever, but God's going, no, that's where I've come to find you. Or maybe those areas where you feel too broken, and it's like, man, that, that part just needs to stay off the shadow. And God's going, no, I got the magnifying glass. I already know what's there. I'm coming to actually see you in those places. Maybe the areas where you have, your life has been marked by sin and rebellion and resistance against God, the beauty of the gospel is that God has come in Christ to find you in those places. It's come. It's not hidden from him. He can magnify it. He can bring it up close but he's come not to condemn you, but to redeem you. Have you seen God seeing you? This Christmas season is a time for us to celebrate our stories of where God has seen you. And so I wanna invite you this month to take time and celebrate, reflect back, God, where is your humble estate where God has seen you? Maybe it was God seeing you as that awkward kid back in high school that just felt overlooked and no one else saw. It was God seeing you in that gutter on Mill Avenue at 2 a.m. and just life broken, drained. Everyone else was gone, but God saw you. It was God seeing you when you were all alone in that empty house after your husband left. God sees you. The Christmas story is that God sees you and has drawn close and has come to magnify those areas in your life where you need him so that he can be with you there and that he can redeem you there. God has come in Christ to redeem. 
God pulls up the magnifying glass in Christ. Jesus is like that magnifying glass. That Jesus himself, his presence, it magnifies those places in your life where you need him, and it draws them up big, and it draws them up close, and says, those are the very areas I'm going to use. Those are the very parts of your story I've come to redeem. Those are the very places I've come both to find you and to make you a part of my kingdom. Mary lets us in on a secret, and it's the message of Christmas is that God sees you. God has drawn close to you in your humble estate. He's come in Christ to find you, to redeem you, to be with you. And it is when you get this that you want to magnify God, not just with your words, but from your soul, to praise him from the inside out. It's when you get this that it moves you from the inside out like Man, and if you haven't been moved yet, that's okay. But I want to invite you this month to take the time to pay attention. Like sometimes, some folks it took seven minutes, some folks it took 164 minutes. But I think the reality is, when you magnify and see the God of the Gospel who's come at Christmas, the beauty of Christ is you find Him seeing you, and that is what moves you to give your life to him, to follow him, to say, God, you can have everything. I want to magnify you with everything that I am and everything that I have. And so as we come to the table this morning, we come to bread and wine, a sign of Christ's body given and his blood shed. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, this table is for you. And it is a reminder as we come that we come to a God who not only came to Mary and to be born in a manger, but who ultimately would be laid in a grave so that he could find you and magnify even the, the hardest, darkest places of our death and our brokenness and our destruction, that he would be united to us even there to redeem you and raise you with him, that we could rejoice in the glory of this magnificent God forever. And so this morning, as we come and, and, and worship, I want to invite you to sing, not just with your words, from the soul, from the inside out, rejoice and celebrate and magnify this God who has seen you and who has come to be with you and to bring his kingdom that will never be shaken. Would you join me in prayer? Christ, we magnify you as king this morning. We thank you that God, we, in the midst of our circumstances, God, in the midst of our problems, God, I, I don't want to ignore, pretend those things aren't there. Um, for all of us this morning, God, 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 I pray that we could bring those places before you. But God, we want to we set the magnifying glass on you. We want to magnify you, make you our focus this season. We want to magnify you as king, and I pray that with you at the center of our focus, God, all those other things would take their proper place, Lord. God, we magnify you as king and we magnify your kingdom, God. We recognize the kingdoms of this world are passing, they are fading, but your kingdom is eternal, it is secure, it will not be shaken. And so, God, we, with joy, we give our lives for your upside down kingdom that has come to rescue the world. And God, we thank you this morning that you are a magnificent God who as we pay attention to you, as we adore you, as we set our attention to 
meditate and reflect on who you are and on what you've done, the power that we find you like that artist looking back at us. Jesus, we open our lives to you this morning. Take your magnifying glass, God. Search us, God. See the hidden places of our heart, the parts that feel too rebellious that you would make your home in. God, the parts that feel too broken that we could actually know you there. God, we invite you to magnify those areas in our lives and to flood and fill them with the redemptive presence of your son, Jesus, who has a habit of making his home in humble places. Thank you that you have found us in our humble estate, Jesus. Like Mary, we join in her song and we magnify you, God. We give you all praise from the inside and out, God, not just with our words, but from the depths of our soul. We cry out, God, you are magnificent. Jesus, at Christmas and all year round, you are a magnificent God. We exalt you, we magnify you, we adore you, our King of kings. It's in your mighty name that we pray.